Greetings. This is episode 32 of Hear Her Sports. I'm your host, Elizabeth Emery. Today's guest is Anya Alvarez. Anya is one of the strong, adventurous, superstar women I really admire for everything she's doing to promote and advance sports for women and for girls. She is a former professional golfer on the LPGA and is now a sports journalist focusing on covering women in sports and highlighting their excellence. Her writing has been featured in various outlets, including ESPN, Vice, Rolling Stone, Salon, and Playboy magazine. As a continuation of her mission to amplify the voices of women in sports, Anya created Major League Girls, a portal of untold women's sports stories focused on content geared toward young girls who love sports. In this episode, she explains the mission, purpose, and big goals of Major League Girls. We also talk Olympic coverage, training, being strong, Philadelphia, and tortilla chips. As always, the episode notes of hearhersports.com has links to many of the things we talk about, including the Major League Girls website. Well, I'm excited to introduce Anya, so let's get started. Well, welcome, Anya. It's so great to have you here on Hear Her Sports. I'm excited for our conversation. Yes, me too. Thanks for having me. Well, I know you're doing a lot of really incredible, exciting stuff. Can you describe what you're up to right now? So I am starting a new venture called Major League Girls, and it's all about creating content for girls who love and play sports. And our mission is to empower girls to live passionately on and off the field. And how did you get started on this and how did you decide to do it this way? So I played golf professionally and I played golf competitively throughout my entire life. I uh, went to school at the University of Washington on an athletic scholarship. I played on the LPGA after school. And then when I left golf, I became a sports writer and started covering women's sports. And while there are outlets out there that are trying to create more coverage for women's sports, I realized that there was a gap in the market for the type of content that was created for girls specifically. And you have all these websites like Bleacher Report and Deadspin and SB Nation and ESPN, and while they may sprinkle some women's stuff in there sometimes, there's really nothing geared towards girls specifically. And I believe that the future of sports is girls. We have more girls competing and playing sports now more than ever. So why isn't there a space for them specifically to um, share stories with each other and to learn about other women in sports in a way that's relatable for them? And so that's how the concept of Major League Girls came about. And now the website is up and we're in the process of getting funding and it's been an exciting process. Yeah. Uh, did you mention the age group that you're talking about? Yeah. So our age group it ranges around 13 to 18. Got it. And so you have a website and what else are you planning? Well, the type of content that we'll be doing on the website will be video content and articles and eventually we would like to do summits, Major League Girls Summit, nice. very similar to what ESPNW does once a year, but with more of a focus of bringing younger girls to the summit and, and engaging with each other because we envision Major League Girls becoming a community. And it would be great to bring all these girls who are part of the website to be able to meet each other face to face. Are some of the girls going to be doing the writing and the content creation as well? Yes, they will be. Oh, that's awesome. What have you been doing in the past year to get this going? I know you've been doing a lot of traveling. 
I mean, it's really been a lot of just networking with people and getting the word out and building support internally. Um, you know, this is a very interesting space to be in because we're starting to believe that girls love to play sports and love to watch sports too. And that, you know, that this is a space for them. Thankfully, we're no longer having to try to convince people as much as we used to, but there's also this hurdle of trying to get people to believe that girls actually want sports content. And I really believe that they do. I mean, for me as a young athlete, I would have loved to have had access to content about professional women playing sports that was relatable to me so that I, you know, could draw inspiration from it in some way. And I never had that. I never got to see any female athletes on Sports Center or on the front pages of magazines, of sports magazines, or even in women's magazines. They didn't, they don't do much coverage of female athletes. And I think it's one of those things where if you start creating the content and girls have access to it and they know that it's out there, they will consume it. So that's the main thing is getting out there, talking to people, spreading the word, and getting them excited about it too. So yeah, let's let's talk about that a little bit more. With the content that you're creating for girls, are the girls wanting the same content that is being created for men and, and boys, or do they want something different? One of the things that I have learned is girls want to, uh, they like lifestyle content. That's a big part of, I mean, anything that you see like on YouTube, right? The makeup tutorials and the fitness stuff, it's all lifestyle based. So showing more of the lifestyle side of sports is definitely um, a key interest of what we're doing, but also talking about women who are breaking barriers. Um, girls, from what I've seen, really like to see other women who have done the hard work, have gone through the struggle, and who have opened doors for future generations of girls to walk through because it inspires them. They're like, wow, she did this. I can do this also, or I can do something even bigger. So the type of content we are going to do is going to be lighthearted. And it's also going to deal with some of the issues that young girls face, like when you're going through puberty and your body's changing and developing and you're, you don't know how to deal with that along with how it's going to change how you you know, may affect you how you play on the field. Um, one of the biggest reasons why girls stop playing sports is when they develop breasts mm-hmm. because they become self-conscious. And how do you address that? How do you help girls navigate that so that isn't the reason why they quit playing sports or they don't quit playing sports when they start getting their period because it's painful and uncomfortable when they're having their period and competing. You know, there are, there are ways that we can help provide information to that, those girls, but there's no main source of a center for them to go to, to get that information. Let me ask you a question about the lifestyle component of it. I, I, I mean, I like lifestyle content for sure, but I do sometimes wonder if women and girls are sort of told that they, that's what they should like, or have been conditioned that that's what they should like. I don't, I, I'm not articulating my question very well, but I sometimes wonder if girls say that they want lifestyle type content because that's what they've been given so far. 
I mean, I can't speak for everybody. I know that I personally enjoy the lifestyle side of sports and and just in general. I follow makeup blogs. I follow fashion blogs. I I enjoy it. And it's not that every girl enjoys it. There's definitely girls who don't have an interest in that side of it at all. But for me, lifestyle is a much bigger component than that, where it could be talking about you know, what do you, what does an athlete do in her free time? Right. Does she like to paint? Does she like to go bungee jumping? Who is she as a person then that makes up her entire lifestyle, you know, because there's so many more components to an athlete outside of her being an incredible athlete and her training. But there are things too, that I think every athlete can benefit from. Like what does an athlete eat, you know, during their off time, how do they take care of their skin? You know, those are things that somebody like a Lindsey Vaughn is going to have a different skincare routine than Katie Ledecky, who's in chlorine all day. Right. <laughs> and that's yeah. not about vanity. That's just protecting your skin. Right. You know, it's not, it, it has, it's not about like, oh, I want to be the most beautiful person. It's just like, I want to take care of my body. So, you know, I think that's a good question because one of the things that we, that I talked about with my designer when I was designing our logo and designing our website, I didn't want it to, uh, be, what do they call it? Like shrink it and pink it. Mm -hmm. Um, I was trying to avoid that to make it appealing to girls because even though I'm personally more on the girly side, I understand that not every girl is like that. And that's, we want this to be a space where any type of girl feels welcome to come to that she doesn't have to like makeup to come to it. She can care less about it and there's going to be content for her too. So, you know, if you look at our logo, we chose really bold colors and there's a little bit of femininity. There's yeah, there's a feminine touch to it, but it's strong. It's bold. It's powerful. It's I think impactful and it's memorable And I don't think that the first impression that most girls are going to get when looking at the logo is, oh, this is only for girls who like sparkles and glitter. Right. You know, we wanted to avoid that. And I I think my question comes exactly from that is I worry when, you know, girls are given lifestyle, it's dumbing it down. And the way that you're talking about it, it's just another component of an athletic life. Right. Yeah, totally. And you know, if you look at, um, like Michelle, Wee, for instance, uh, on the LPGA tour, she has a blog that she started called what do we eat a play off her name. And she loves to cook. She, and she's a photographer as well, a really great photographer and her food blog is beautiful. And not many people would know that about her. And she shares all the recipes and the stuff, the type of stuff that she likes to eat when she's traveling. And it's interesting because you get to see a different side of her. Yeah. And you know, the other thing about that too, is it's a hook to get you interested in the sports, which I think is interesting. And I think that's one of the components that's left out of coverage of female athletes. Exactly. You know, you are able to build a connection with them um, outside of sport, because even if you're not, if you're not a sports fan at all, but you love food and you love photography and you run across Michelle Wee's page, you're going to find some common ground with her. And maybe you start following her golf career a little bit simply because you really like this other aspect of her. 
uh, the same, you know, with any other thing that an athlete may have an interest in. So I think those elements need to be highlighted more of, of women in sports for sure. Yeah. So speaking of golf, you were a, a pro golfer. What was the transition like between, you know, being a pro athlete and going into your next career of writing and journalism? Man, that was an interesting time. <laughs> you know, it was definitely scary because I did not know if it was going to work out. You know, you're taking a big risk. I, you know, I'd played golf since I was five years old. And so I, I knew I didn't want to play competitively anymore, but I always knew that I wanted to be a writer and I wanted to make an impact through the pieces that I did write. And it was just, it just took a lot of self-belief and the understanding that there were going to probably be trying times. But I think golf prepared me for that because like any other sport, you're going to have highs and lows. You're going to train and do everything that you can to, to win. And you may play really poorly in a competition, even though you gave everything that you had in that moment, your best is not always going to be there or your best is not always going to be good enough. And writing is very similar to that. I mean, there are times when I write pieces that, you know, I put my heart and soul into and I think it's going to do really well and it doesn't get any traction or maybe the editor doesn't like it at all and does a complete rewrite. You know, and it's just putting your ego aside, just like in sport, you have to put your ego aside and continue to learn and grow. And so it's a humbling process. It's a different type of humbling process. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's been worth it. And I'm, I'm much happier. How long did it take you to like, how long has it been? Since I stopped playing Since you, golf? Right. So it's been, I guess, about four years now. Yeah, four years. And you, as soon as you stopped playing golf professionally, you started with the journalism? So it was like I an did. immediate transition? Wow, that's great. It was. It was an immediate transition, yes. I'm always impressed when athletes who've been focused so much on their sport know what they want to do afterwards, you know, and, and are able to charge right into it. You know, I was really lucky, I think, because I... My parents were really good about putting me in different things growing up, so I always had different interests. I was never, um, I never felt like golf was the only thing for me. And, you know, I think that happens to a lot of athletes, especially if that's the only sport or the only thing that they did from an early age, is that they never are given time to develop other interests or passions. And one of the biggest mistakes that I see parents make is making their kid compete in a sport, only one sport from an early age. If you look at some of the best athletes in the world, they played multiple sports growing up or they had other interests and activities and it helps them become more well-rounded and help, helps them stay in the sport longer that they may end up choosing in the long run. We've heard that a lot from a lot of the guests. They don't get, yeah, they don't get burned out. The last thing you want is to burn out your kid when they're 16 where they don't even want to play college sports, right? So I, I would just advise parents to put their kids in other activities. And if they go to a sport and it's their choice to want to compete in that full time, then great. But if not, 
let them be their own person. And my parents did a really, really good job of that. I mean, I wrote for my high school newspaper. I did freelance writing when I was in college. I was in drama. I played soccer. I played tennis. I mean, my main passion at the time was still golf, but I wanted to be a kid and I wanted to have a life. And I think that prepared me for making the transition as well. It, it wasn't as scary. And, you know, I see this happen a lot, particularly in, in women's golf, where you have girls out there who, or young women out there who have been out there a really, really long time. And they're unhappy, but they don't have any clue what they're going to do when they leave golf. So they stay and they remain unhappy and they remain miserable. And it's, it's actually really sad to see because they, they are going to lose a big sense of their identity if they lose golf, if they're no longer competing. And they don't have anything else to kind of help fill that void. It's also hard to go from being, you know, top of your game to starting something totally new. I mean, just, you know, that's, that's a hard transition no matter what. And if you haven't thought about it, it's even harder. Oh, for sure. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, like I said, it's a very humbling experience. That's all I can say is you, you really have to set your ego to the side and, and allow yourself to fail and get back up and try again. It's interesting what you said about the getting burnt out because there's not a very good carryover between girls who do high school sports to college sports. I wish I remembered the percentage of athletes that go on to do college sports, but it's really it was surprisingly low. Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised by it, but yeah, I don't know what the answer to that is, but I think part of it is continuing to create safe spaces for girls to play sports and helping them feel like they belong. The more that they feel that they belong in sports, the more likely that you'll see them go to college and play sports and maybe compete competitively. But I also think we have to um, show girls and show young women that there are other opportunities within sports that don't involve competing. Yes, totally. You, you know, th that's not a conversation that's really talked a lot about. And show them to be coaches, show them that they can be PTs and show them that they can be a GM of a team or be an administrator or athletic director. There are so many avenues that young women can go into in the world of sports that don't involve them competing. And if they can look at sports as an avenue to help them open that door, if they end up playing college sports, you know, obviously it, it, that is a huge thing that will open up so many doors for them if they want to work in the world of sports outside of being an athlete, you might see more girls take that route because they'll want to take advantage of that. I think that's so important. And we're in an interesting time because there aren't that many female coaches, female uh, sportscasters and all those careers that you mentioned. And so it's a matter of, you know, letting these girls know that it's, it is possible. Exactly. They just, they just need to know that, that it's out there. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> So, you know, the Olympics are coming, and how do you feel about the coverage of the Olympics, the Olympic athletes, and the way women competitors have been portrayed over the, I don't know, last decade or so, and how female athletes in the Olympics are viewed by fans? You know, the last Olympics was really interesting because it was the first time, I think, that the sexism and how women in sports were... Um, covered was really pointed out and 
I'm really curious to see what they learn from that. <laughs> if anything is going to be different. And I do think that there, it will be different because the scrutiny is so much greater now than it ever was in the past. And I really believe that women in sports have a greater voice than they've ever had before. And social media is a huge component of that where we can call it out immediately. You know, if we hear a broadcaster say something that's sexist, we can go straight to Twitter and be like, hey, <laughs> maybe you should have phrased that a little bit differently. That's, and that's great. there's so many more news outlets that we can write for online to also point it out. So I'm actually, I'm optimistic that it will be better. Do I think it will be perfect? No, because there's not going to be an equal number of women sportscasters there. Right. And until we achieve equality on that front of the people covering sports, it's going to be really hard to get equal and better coverage for female athletes. So that that has to change. But you also have to look at it, too. You know, women's sports doesn't receive that much coverage in general on TV and magazines and newspapers on online platforms. And you're putting these guys, or and even women, in the position of suddenly covering women in sports when they they don't ever cover it. So they don't have training. They don't have the expertise or the knowledge of women's sports. And suddenly they're supposed to talk about female athletes with with no real background in it. I know, and they don't I even know the characters. You yeah, they don't know who these people are, which is a huge part of storytelling, right? Sure. And building a connection. And... I think that therein lies part of the problem and the type of coverage that you see during the Olympics. And once you get better coverage and more coverage and quality coverage of women in sports in between the Olympics, then you will see better coverage of them at the Olympics. Yeah. You know, this is something that can change some of these women's lives and set them up financially you know, especially if they win a medal, they can open up so many doors for them, um, especially in the more popular sports. If you, you know, look at stuff like skiing and, and ice skating, but, um, yeah, you know, it's, it, the stakes are higher for them. And I think, you know, I'm, I feel very optimistic about women's sports. I think, there's all these little movements and organizations that I see that are really actively trying to get better coverage and to show that women in sports are just awesome, that we're going to continue to see a shift. And these women that compete in the Olympics are going to get more coverage before. So I feel optimistic. Yeah, well, that's a great segue to uh, another question that I have is, what is your vision of women's sports and girls' sports? What is my vision? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the optimist in me would love to see women making as much as men. Me too. Uh, do I think I will see a $100 million contract for a WNBA player anytime soon? Probably not. Won't probably happen in my lifetime. But my vision is that we are that we continue to break barriers and that people start to take them more seriously, which is happening. I mean, you can look at the WNBA, for instance, last year, 
they had a huge, I, I believe it was a 24% increase in viewership from the year before during the finals. And they had higher attendance at their games throughout the season. If you look at the uh, softball NCAA championship finals, they had one point, I, I believe it was 1.8 million viewers watching the finals. And they were only, which was just a little bit less than the boys' uh, college world series, which came in at like 1.9 million. So they were really close in matching their viewership which is really unheard of in women's sports, right? The LPGA had 100% more coverage on NBC and on the Golf Channel. They had their highest ratings at several of their golf tournaments last year and highest attendance rates. So I think because of all these movements that we're seeing that are on the ground level, that we're seeing more people take women's sports more seriously. And... And you know, obviously the internet plays a huge part in that because we can do a lot of self-promotion that we wouldn't have been able to do before. So, yeah, I mean, for the future, I just think it's going to get better. And I, I, I'm optimistic that we're going to see a women's sports network one day and that we'll be able to watch uh, sports on TV, women's sports on TV on demand whenever we want. And there's actually a woman named Meg- Megan McNally who has started something very similar to that called Diana Media. And it's going to be an app where you can stream women's sports events live. So there are women doing this amazing stuff behind the scenes that we don't even know about that are helping make that happen. Cool. Do you have any theories about why it's been so hard to bring money into women in sports? And and maybe also, do you have ideas of, of how to bring more money into into sports for women? Yeah. Um, you can just look at the majority of people who run sports networks and newspapers and magazines and, um, and even, you know, management groups, agents, it's majority dudes. (laughs) And it's, uh, you know, there's not a lot of diverse opinion at the top. And if you don't have diversity at the top, you're not going to be able to bring in a different perspective of why covering women's sports is important. And women's sports hasn't really been given a fair chance. And maybe it's because these guys at the top, and this is, you know, this is theoretical. I have no idea a hundred percent, but you know, these guys grew up watching, you know, the NFL, MLB, NHL, NBA, all these sports that are very male centric And that's the only exposure that they've had. And so if your only exposure is that growing up and then you go and run a sports media company, you're not going to look at the WNBA or the LPGA or outside of men's leagues to, for coverage, because you're so fixated on the things that you've, you know, that you grew up with. So that's why we need more women in these leadership roles to help drive content ideas also. Right. And well, let me let me go to back to a very basic question. Why is it important for uh, girls and women to have access to sports? I mean, I think it's with anything that anybody needs access to, right? That we should, it sh- any space should feel like a welcoming space for women and girls. And for me personally, sports opened up so many doors for me and gave me confidence. It taught me discipline. Um, 
I mean, it paid for my college. Like, I still look back and think how lucky I was to attend such a great university playing golf. And, you know, I, I think to deny access is in a way not legally criminal, but it's criminal in a sense that you're robbing people from exploring their full potential in other areas that maybe they didn't realize they had potential in. And I don't ever, I've never met a person that regretted playing sports ever. Maybe they didn't like it. Maybe it wasn't for them, but they didn't have a negative experience attached to it. Like, uh, you know, I had lower self-confidence when I left playing sports. Right. I don't ever hear stories like that. Right. I hear stories that I made a lot of friends. I became stronger. I, you know, gained more self-confidence. And I think robbing girls from the opportunity to experience that is, is really sad. So what are, the, what are the big issues that you're seeing right now in uh, girls' sports? What are the big issues that I'm seeing? Yes. That is a really good question. You know, I think it's, gosh, where do I start? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you still don't, they're, they're Nancy Hogshead McCarr, who's a, an attorney and also an Olympic medalist in swimming. Um, she started an organization called champion women and they fight vigorously for title nine protection. And even though we think that, Title IX maybe has solved everything. Not every school, not every district is implementing it the way that it needs to be implemented. So as a result, girls still don't have equal access to sports. Um, So I would say that that's probably one of the bigger issues. But also sports is becoming increasingly expensive. And it prices out a lot of families from being able to um, get their girls involved in sports. And because funding for sports programs in general, like PE, for instance, have been cut from a lot of schools, uh, girls don't even have access to PE. And a lot of schools now are doing a a pay-to-play program. So while before, you know, you would have been able to participate on your girls' basketball team for free, you're going to, you have to pay now. And you know, that that limits a lot of girls from being able to have access to it. And, and boys, too. It's affecting a lot of people, not just girls. But I think access is probably still the biggest thing. And, and the other thing is, I will say, coverage. You know, the, the more coverage we get of great women in sports out there, the more you'll see girls wanting to play because they'll find something that's relatable to an athlete. And maybe they'll want to try that sport. Right. What do you think about the pay equity as fitting into that? I mean, yeah, you want to make a living, right? And the more coverage that women get in sports, the more opportunity they'll have to get sponsors and the more they'll have opportunity for people to learn about them and then go to their events, driving up ticket sales and attendance. So I personally believe that it's the media's responsibility to give better and equal coverage to women's sports so that they can help accomplish the goal of equal pay one day. You know, I, that it, to me, this is an equal pay issue outside of just, Oh, I want to inspire girls to play more sports. It's an equal pay issue. Um, and if they don't get coverage, they're not going to make money. (laughs) So they're going to be forced to quit and, 
be forced to do something different than maybe what they had hoped and dreamed to do. What can we do to, to help? You talked a lot about social media, but is there other stuff? I mean, if you have a women's sports team that's in your city or nearby, go attend a game. Buy their gear, post a picture of yourself wearing their jerseys on your social media. You know, it's it's one thing to say I support women's sports. It's another thing to actually actively go out there and be a fan. And whether that means watching it when it's on TV or going to a game, then I really feel, I mean, those to me are the most probably impactful ways that you can, um, that you can do that is to show your support in that way. Cool. I want to ask you a little bit about what you're doing yourself now to stay fit. What's your current exercise regime? My current exercise regime. I lift weights about three to four times a week and cardio is still something that I hate, but I do. (laughs) (laughs) So I, you know, whether it's running with my dogs or doing some sort of hit cardio workout, just trying to get it in that way. And I, and I, I love yoga. I'm a huge fan of yoga. Do you have a favorite kind of yoga? Um, I like vinyasa. I like a little bit quicker pace. And every once in a while, I I will uh, do something a little bit slower pace, more meditative. But I'm, my mind is too quick, <laughs> I think. <laughs> that's Well, that's a little bit aerobic. It's a, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, what kind of uh, strength training do you do? So I break it up. I will do legs one day arms and shoulders the next day. Um, I used to do more full body circuit type of stuff, but I found that my body would get really tired quickly that way. And um, I found that it's just worked better for me to break it up into different days. Do you like strength training? I do. I love feeling strong. Yeah. I really, really do. And what kind of gym do you go to? I go to, it's kind of like a CrossFit style gym, Mm -hmm. but not as uh, scary as a typical CrossFit (laughs) gym. (laughs) And also I wanted to ask you, you've been doing tons of traveling, as I mentioned earlier, you know, have, have, has any place stood out or made a big impression on you? In terms of what? I don't know. Something you discovered? You know, I have to admit, I, I love Philadelphia so much. I, so I live in DC right now. Um, but man, Philadelphia people are special. There is a sense of pride that people in Philly have that is unprecedented. And I was there when the Eagles won their, uh, what is it? The NFC championship Mm -hmm. on Sunday. And I was at a bar downtown, this very little low-key bar where they didn't have a TV, so we weren't watching the game, but you could hear the people screaming outside on the streets. Oh, that's awesome. And so it was was funny because you knew that the Eagles had won uh, by the reaction from the people, but I was also scared to get out to go out of the bar and get an Uber because <laughs> I didn't like want to get caught up in the mob. Right. 
And apparently they had police officers that had greased up the poles downtown with lard so that they were too slick for people to climb in case they had one because they knew that people were going to be going crazy. That's funny. And yeah, so I, I mean, I love Philadelphia. I think it's an awesome city. I mean, it's, it's just got, there's just a sense of pride there. And, uh, it, you know, it's a great sports town. It sure is. Did you know I grew up in Philadelphia? I did not know that. I did. Yeah. And from social media, I suspect that, uh, you like finding new restaurants and new places to eat almost as much as I do. So, uh, is there any restaurant that stood out? So I, well, in Philadelphia, I went to this restaurant, uh, this last trip that I was there called, uh, Vertri Cucina, uh, Cucina, and it was an Italian restaurant and it's a, it's an experience, like it's a dining experience. So you need to allot yourself at least three hours there. Wow. So they give you a prefixed menu and under each course they have, the different options that um, are available under each course, but you don't get get to actually decide what you get. So the chef just surprises you. And, you know, you're sitting there in just anticipation the entire time, like, okay, what's going to come next? What's going to come next? <laughs> and I, it was just, oh, I mean, the food was delicious and really rich and, decadent but it was more so just like the experience of just not feeling rushed I guess you know how you go to most restaurants and you order your meal and your meal's out 10 minutes later and then you're done and it's like okay well I guess I don't need to sit here anymore this is just like an actual experience and um you know my friend and I that went together we sat for three hours talking and eating food and drinking wine and it was it was amazing it sounds luxurious it was. Yeah. It was. <laughs> um, I'm sure that you're not doing that every day. So do you uh, think a lot about nutrition? I do. I um, I eat fairly healthy. And I mean, for what I, I don't know, I, I don't like count macros like some people do. Um, and I don't, you know, count calories. But I cook a lot for myself. And the stuff that I do cook is healthy. And I've been transitioning to eat more of a vegan diet. I would say I'm at like 70% right now. Um, and I have noticed a huge difference in how I'm feeling. Really? But yeah, I, I really do. And I think it's just helped me cut out a lot of processed foods that maybe I didn't really realize that I was eating before. Mm-hmm. But um, Veganism is really popular right now. It is. It <laughs> is. And I have, I've done it before. I, I've I've done it before, but I I never was that committed to it, and I think it was because I wasn't sure how to do it. And now there's so many more resources and websites and different recipes out there that I mean they're just as filling as any meal that I would eat with meat or you know mm-hmm. with meat in it. So I I personally feel better. I have more energy, but I you know I also give in to my cravings sometimes. Um, but the one thing that I refuse to keep into my house, in my house, because I know that I'll just devour it as chips and salsa. Mm. Like I cannot have that in my house (laughs) or (laughs) that would be like the only thing I would eat. So (laughs) I just avoid it and I treat myself to it if I go out, you know, to a Mexican restaurant. (laughs) So can you pinpoint 
like what exactly it is with the vegan food that or the eating more vegan has helped you with? Like, well, how do you feel? You better? know, to be to be honest with you, I think a lot of it has to do with um, the dairy side mm. of it. You know, I love dairy. I used to drink milk a lot just to drink it. Cheese, I would put in everything, and you don't realize how much it weighs you down. And my skin is more clear too. So I, I would honestly, I think it's the dairy part of it. Hmm. Interesting. Well, it's been wonderful to talk to you. Is there anything that we didn't get to that you want to you want to mention before we pack up? I would just encourage everybody to go and support Major League Girls. And if they have any stories about female athletes that they ha- that haven't been told or think needs to be told more or get more coverage or any girls that are in high school and middle school that play sports that Uh, could be nominated for our Major League Girl of the Week. I would encourage them to send any ideas to majorleaguegirls at gmail.com, and we'd love to hear from you. That's awesome. Thank you. And thank you very much for, for talking to us. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Sure. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye Bye. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, please tell your pals about it. No, really, I mean right now. Send an email to one friend just to say these women are awesome. And also remember to sign up for the newsletter and get the link to a Spotify playlist of favorite workout songs of some of my guests. I'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Bye-bye. Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning, or have never even heard of paddle, or padel, as it's called in North America, this is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with the Pro Tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Vamos!